Praise the Lord, Bridgeway. It's so good to see you today, or at least you get to see me today. But in just a few weeks, we'll be able to see one another when we open our Owens Mills Town campus on Mother's Day, May 9th. Thank you, Pastor David Heiliger as well for sharing that story of a dramatic turn when you guys were boating from fun to fear. In today's sermon, we're going to talk about the fearful disciples who were caught up in a storm and whether the weather report was a 30% chance of rain or not, it turned to 100% danger really quickly in that moment. Next week, I'm going to preach a message called The Other Nine, after that, The Other Son, and after that, The Other's Conscience. Today, The Other Boats. The series is called Otherwise, Gaining Perspectives of Wisdom from the Perspective of Others, if you will. Tonight at 7 p.m., I hope you will all join me as Dr. Francis Collins and I have a conversation about vaccinations. He is the world's number one biomedical scientist. He's Dr. Anthony Fauci's boss, and he is the head of the NIH, the National Institutes of Health. So join us tonight at 7 p.m. You can go to my Facebook page, at Anderson Speaks. Let's pray together and ask God to be with us. And let me just say, uh, before I get started, get comfortable. Uh, sit back in your chair, get your coffee, your tea, lean up against the, the, the headboard of your bed or recline the chair in your car because we're going we're gonna to work on this message today. I've got a word for you, and I'm going to pray that God would use every sentence I've written, every unwritten written sentence that God puts into my mind. There's something for everyone, but you got to work with me here. So I need you to pray with me now, and then we're going to get into this passage about Jesus on the storm, in the boat, in the storm. Are you ready? Come on, pray with me now. Lord Jesus, as we go into your word, I pray that your word would go into everyone who's under the sound of my voice. And I ask that this passage in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, would somehow in some way minister to us. So we now commit today's sermon to you in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen and amen. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. We're going to read verses 35 through 41. And it's the story I already told you I'm going to read about Jesus calming the storm. So let's listen as I read it out loud from the New International Version, 1984. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care? If we drown, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely 
calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You know, it says that he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves. Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. You and I know that this would not be the last time Jesus would get up and rebuke stuff. Last week on Easter, we were reminded that Jesus got up and he rebuked death. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? He continues to get up every time something seems to take him down. And God wants you to know that he got up so you can get up too. Whatever's got you down, know that just like he got up in the boat, just like he got up on that early Sunday morning and rose again from the dead, you can get up as well. So the next time you feel like you're going down, remember, he got up with all power in his hands, so you can too. But I want you to go with me to verse 40. It says in Mark 4, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? There are a few observations I want to make from the story. Observation one, number one is about the characteristics of the storm. What was this storm about? Well, first of all, Mark says in verse 37 of this chapter, it was a furious squall. He also says in that verse that the waves broke over the boat, which means the boat was taking on water. He says in this verse as well that they were nearly swamped. Now, this same story is mentioned in Luke chapter 8 as well as Matthew chapter 8. And the way Luke puts it, Luke says, I quote, they were in great danger. Luke says in 8.24, they were raging waters. Now, Matthew puts it like this in verse 24. The waves swept over the boat. Matthew also says something that's interesting. He says, without warning, the storm came up. In other words, it was sudden. The bottom line of what we do know is that they were overtaken, they were overwhelmed, and they were overcome by a sudden storm without warning. Has this ever happened to you? Overtaken? Overwhelmed? Overcome? This had to be a frightful and fearful and chaotic and terrifying moment. What may have been fun turned into fear quickly. What may have seemed like a normal trip turned abnormal quickly. While there may have been a 30% chance of rain, now we have a 100% chance of danger without any weather report, without warning, Matthew says. Can I say something to you? When we are prepared for a storm, we can prepare our spirits for it. But what happens when something comes up without warning? What happens when a crisis happens suddenly? 
What happens when you're having a great day and then you have that conversation with someone who says they don't love you anymore? What happens when you think everything's fine in traffic until you realize you've just been hit? What happens when you get that call at 3 in the morning that your loved one didn't make it home and they want you to come to the hospital? You see, if you would warn me, Lord, I can prepare my spirit. But when a storm comes without warning, that's when true character reveals itself. Because if I can prepare for it, I can prepare my words. I can prepare my spirit. I can brace myself. But when a storm comes without warning, the true character of your faith is then revealed. And it says in that moment that without warning, this dangerous storm caught them. That was the characteristic of the storm. But now I want to juxtapose it with a second observation Let's juxtapose the characteristics of the storm with the contrast of the Savior. While the storm was furious and frightful, contrast it with the character of the Savior, Jesus. What do we observe about Jesus? Well, in Mark 4.38, it says, Jesus was in the stern, which is the back of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. So while the disciples were awake and afraid, Jesus was asleep and at peace. Jesus was at peace while the disciples were falling to pieces. The disciples were chaotic and in crisis while Jesus was calm and and commanding. You see, Jesus, while he was sleeping, was completely out, if you will. He must have been so very tired after a long day of ministry, pouring out himself, teaching all day. And we see this earlier in this, right before the passage I read in verses 33 and 34, it says in Mark 4, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. Verse 34, he did not say anything to them without using a parable Check out this last line. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. You know, this means that Jesus was putting out effort and energy not only to teach the masses, but then after he was done teaching them all that they could understand, then he'd have debriefing meetings with his disciples and with his team. This means that Jesus was was never really off the clock when he left the crowds after the crowds were gone. And you know how that is. You have meetings, and then you have meetings after the meeting to debrief the meeting. Sometimes you have prep meetings before the meeting, and then debrief meetings after the meetings. Jesus was never off. Jesus was teaching and training and explaining and constantly doing Q&A with his disciples to teach them further about what he had already taught previously to the crowds. And this is the true art of discipleship, isn't it? When you're always on, you're not only formally teaching, but you're informally teaching. So Jesus must have been so very tired that now he's in the back of the boat on a cushion and the waves are rocking him to sleep. Let me just pause to remind you that in his humanity, he was asleep. But God in his divinity never sleeps nor slumbers. He's always working for you. 
Psalm 121 verse 4 says, He who watches over Israel will never slumber nor sleep. But Jesus must have been really tired. And so we can now see that there is this juxtaposition between the characteristics of the storm, contrasting it with the character of the Savior. They were all uh, uh, just blown away, waves taken over. He was asleep. Let me give you a third observation as I've looked at the story, and that is the charge against the Savior. Not just the characteristics of the storm contrasting it with the Savior, but let's talk about the charge against the Savior, a false charge, might I add. Back to Mark chapter 4, verse 38. This is what it says in verse 38. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, which means rabbi, don't you care? Don't you care if we drown? Now hold up, disciples. Out of all the things that could have come out of your mouth, this is what you accuse Jesus of? Not caring? This is what you charge Jesus with? Not caring? Say what? Isn't it amazing that Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verses 24 through 28, drove demons out? That Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 45, healed many, including a man who had leprosy? Jesus in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, healed the paralytic? Jesus in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, healed a man who had a withered hand. And Jesus in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 19, called the disciples personally, individually to follow him. And now in chapter 4, he appoints them as his apostles. They had been watching him, and he now calls them. They have seen him do these miracles. And isn't it amazing? That after all of this, a sudden moment of crisis, out of all the things that they could have said to him, out of all the things that came out of their mouth, this is what they say. Teacher, don't you even care? Wow. I can't imagine the thought process that Jesus was having in that moment. I know that I've been in this place before as a leader, maybe some of you have as well. You build into people, you teach people, you feed people physically, spiritually, you comfort people in their losses who are hurting in moments of grief, you mentor them, marry them, pray for them, walk with them as their kids grow up. Then, in a moment of crisis, in a moment of pain, in a moment of stress, they get spiritual amnesia. <laughs> and they come out of their mouths with ridiculous and, and illogical and undeserved words of accusation. What a charge to make against Jesus. Yet Jesus doesn't have thin skin like we do. Jesus doesn't get offended. He doesn't take it personally. Jesus doesn't say, after all I've done for you, 
after all you've seen me do. If anyone should know my character, if anyone should know how much I care, it should be you. You ever felt that? But Jesus doesn't, doesn't go there. Instead, you know what Jesus does? Jesus steps up and he handles the situation. Jesus confronts them later, but now's not teaching time. Now's not correction time. Now's not rebuke time. Right now, it's handling the storm time. Right now, it's dealing with the crisis time, which leads us into some lessons we can learn in the storm. Here's one right here. Address the crisis first. Teach the lesson later. Let me say it again. Out of all the observations we saw, and after reading the text, there's some lessons we can learn. And the first one is when you're in a crisis, and you're a leader, you're a parent, you're a friend, you're a discipler, address the crisis first. Teach the lesson later. Jesus didn't clap back at his disciples and, and start saying, how could you say all that? No. He handled the storm. Jesus didn't bring correction. You mean, you don't really think I care after all you've seen me do? No. He handled the storm. Handle the crisis first. Teach later. We were in Mexico with the kids when they were smaller, and I remember one of them began to start choking. He had gone over to a little tiki bar stand, got a hamburger, didn't chew it all the way. And before you know it, we saw a crowd uh, pointing and coming around, and he had something lodged in his throat, and he couldn't breathe. I got up quickly, ran across the sand, and we began to, to, to save this child. The crisis called me to act, not to say, why didn't you chew your food? Come on, are you, really? How many times have we told you chew your food? It's not the time to teach. It's not the time to correct. It's not the time to rebuke. It's the time to deal with the crisis. We had another son when we were in the Bahamas at a younger age. He was a, a, a little small uh, child and he was drowning and I jumped in and, and, and I saved him. Listen, that was not the time to talk about whose fault it was for not watching the toddler, <laughs> especially if it was mine. Here's the lesson. The next time a crisis comes up, handle the crisis. Okay, yeah, so the kid runs into the street because he's chasing the ball, and then the car comes and, and bumps the child, and the child falls down. You run out to the street to get the child. That's not the time to start telling the child, I told you don't chase the ball into the street. That's why you laid out flat right here. Did you like it? Is that what you like? No, <laughs> that's not the way to handle crisis. Sudden crisis that come up without warning reveal the character of us inside. That's the time you handle the situation. You care for the child that got bumped by the car. You get their boo-boos all healed up, and then you have a teaching moment. I've got to learn this in my own life because when sudden things come up, my natural character wants to come up as well. That's why we need to have this message and this sermon in our spirit. That's why we need God's word and this story in our spirit. So when something comes up today, this week, next month, next year, our character begins to respond in a way where we say, let's address the situation and stay calm. 
We can do the teaching, the debriefing later. That's one lesson. But let me give you a second lesson. This is an important one. Write it down if you can. Align yourself with Christ, not the crisis. Align yourself with Christ, not the crisis. You see, Jesus brought the storm in line with his character. Jesus stood up and commanded the wind and the waves to be quiet and be still. What did Jesus do? He called the storm to come in line with his character, to come in line with his calm, to come in line with his quiet, to come in line with who he was. The wind and the waves came in line with Jesus, in line with his character. And conversely, the disciples were in line with the crisis instead of being in line with Christ. If the winds and the waves can come in line with Jesus' character, then you and I should be able in the midst of a crisis to come in line with Jesus' character. The disciples were falling to pieces instead of falling in line with his peace. Do you know anyone like that? People who, who, who don't come in line with the Christ who's right there with them. They come in line with the crisis. They seem to be in line with the drama. They seem to be in line with the chaos. They seem to be in line with all of the consternation. And if some people just always living in crisis, whether it's sudden or whether it's prepared, and Jesus is right there saying, yo, I'm right here. And you have an opportunity. You have a choice. You have a choice to align yourself with Jesus' peace, even through your divorce. You have a choice to align yourself with Jesus' peace, even during your bankruptcy, even during your legal case, even during your health crisis. You have a choice when the storm comes up to come in line with Jesus' character, Jesus' calm, or you can be unlike the wind and unlike the waves who immediately came in line with his peace. Am I, am I speaking to somebody? the storm can submit to Jesus, so can you. If the wind and the waves can submit to Jesus, so can you. And if Jesus is in your boat, then you and your faith must rise up in that moment and believe that he can rescue you from whatever storm you are in. And of course, once he announces to the winds and the waves to be still, he can now turn to his disciples and begin to teach and rebuke because the storm has been calmed. And so he does just that. You get to verse 40, and it says this. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? He didn't say, do you still have little faith? Do you still have some faith? He says, do you still have no faith? Like not even the small mustard seed level of faith? It's no coincidence that right before this passage, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven being like a mustard seed <laughs> of faith. He says, do you still? Like all that you've seen, all the evidence of who I am, all that I've done with you so far in this young discipleship process, your faith hasn't grown at all? I turn to you and I ask you the same question. 
How long have you been in church? Do you still have no faith? How long have you been in relationship with other Christians? How long have you heard God's word preached? How many times has God been faithful to you through thick and thin? Do you still have no faith? Maybe this is the day that you begin to put your faith in the one who deserves it. Maybe this is the day you stop falsely accusing God of not caring about you. Maybe you will delete that phrase from your mouth. God doesn't care. Jesus doesn't care. He may care about others, but he doesn't care about me. Maybe this is the day that you say, I will never say that again. You know, we've made three observations and two lessons so far. The characteristic of the storm, the contrast of the Savior, the charge against the Savior. The two lessons so far, I want you to get them down. Address the crisis first. Teach the lesson later. Secondly, align yourself with Christ, not the crisis. The third and final lesson we'll, we'll grab today from this passage, and that is this. Awaken to the perspective of others. Awaken to the perspective of others. You see, the gospel writer Mark is the only one who mentions the other boats. I, I want you to, to see in verse 36, maybe it's important that this detail is thrown in there, but this is what it says in Mark 4, 36, the, the third part of that passage, of that verse. It says, there were also, here it is, other boats with him. That means that when they were on the sea, the disciples were in the boat with Jesus who was sleeping in the stern. But Mark wants us to know there were other boats on the sea at that time as well. And that means that they were on the sea, but Jesus wasn't in their boat. I wonder what their experience was. I wonder what they were thinking. What can we learn from, from their perspective? What can we learn from those in the other boats? I mean, weren't they in chaos too? What were they thinking? Were they thinking, man, I wish we were on Jesus' boat right now? We should have got on with him. Or, man, I wish that Jesus was on our boat, or, or the disciples on that boat will be fine, but we're dead. What were they thinking? Maybe they're looking from the other boats and saying, why are they panicking? They got Jesus with them. Did they look longingly over, wondering, is their boat any different since Jesus is on it? Christians, I have a question for you. How is your life any different because Jesus is in the boat of your life? Look at your life from the perspective of others. As believers, we have to realize that in a crisis, we're not alone. Why? Because we have Jesus with us, but we also have others watching us. Christ may be with us, but others are on the same sea of life, and they're watching what our life is like because they don't have Jesus on their boat, but they're watching us. In fact, if Jesus is with us and if Jesus is on our boat, then the question becomes in crisis, what kind of witnesses are we being if we have the Lord Jesus Christ 
in the boat of our lives with a watching world where we claim to know him, we claim to worship him, we claim that it is better to have him on our boat than not to have him on our boat. But at the same time, we're going through the same storms the world's going through. We're going through the same crisis the world is going through. The question is, what kind of witnesses are we? In COVID, what kind of witness have you been? During the pandemic, what kind of witness have you been? During the racial unrest, what kind of witness have you been? In your relationships, what kind of witness have you been? At your job, what kind of witness have you been? All Christians are witnesses. The question is, are you a good one or a bad one? Because if Jesus Christ is in your boat, you're a witness. If you are living as a believer, then you're a witness. If you're a believer but you're not living like one, you're a witness. We'll talk about that next week when we talk about the other son and the prodigal son. Friends, the, Lord, the world is looking at us as we're going through this life, and it's the same storms they're going through, we're going through. But here's the thing. Jesus says in Matthew 5, uh, 45, that, you know, the sun rises on the evil and the good. The, the rain uh, is on the righteous and the unrighteous. We all experience the same thing on the sea. They just want to know how you're handling it. Not that you're always shielded from it, but do you have faith in the midst of the storm? Do you have peace in the midst of the storm? People from the other boats are trying to handle their situation in the storm too, but they want to know, is there help? Is there hope? Is there healing? If you're dating, people from other boats are watching you, whether you know it or not. If you're single, people from other boats are watching you. If you're married, people from other boats are watching you. If you're parenting, people from other boats are watching you. If you're in a business, people from other boats are watching you. If you're dying, people from other boats are watching you. If you're ministering, if you're worshiping, if you're working, if you're playing, if you have Jesus in your life, people are watching you. They're watching your behavior. They're watching your speech. They're watching your spirit. What comes out of your mouth in crisis, that reveals the character of Christ in you. What have we said? We've said address the crisis first, teach the lesson Later, align yourself with Christ and not the crisis and awaken to the perspective of others. I end our message today by encouraging you. Tell others. Tell others who you are watching what it is to have Jesus on your boat. You see, they did get to the other side. Can you imagine they're all getting off the boat and they all are looking at that uh, situation that they just had? This is your opportunity to tell others. Yeah, you may have been a little bit fearful. You may have been a little bit scared. But tell others who brought you through the storm. Tell others who was with you in the storm. Tell others who 
who you called on in the storm. Be prepared to give an answer for the reason of the hope that is within you, 1 Peter 3.15. I want you to imagine when they all get to the other side, this is the time for the disciples to give their testimony. And this is the time for you to give your testimony. You are a witness, and maybe you weren't always a perfect witness, but you made it to the other side. You need to tell someone that it was the Lord that brought you through the storm, and you need to tell them that not only did you make it, but they made it safely too because of Jesus. Jesus may not have been on their boat, but Jesus was on the same sea. And because he saved them by calming the storm, you were saved too. Because he was on the same sea, even though he's not in your life, you are receiving common grace from God because he owns the sea. So you ought to be glad that there are Christians on the sea who have Jesus in their hearts because it's restraining the storms of life that could overwhelm you, but because they knew how to call on Jesus, when you call on Jesus, it not only affects your situation, but it affects the situations of other people around you. That's why when everybody gets to the other side, you have to tell them that it was Jesus that blessed them, not their lucky stars. It was Jesus that saved them, not their coincidence, not their belief in Buddha, not their belief in horoscopes, not their... Belief in Confucius, tell them that the same Jesus of the sea is the same Jesus that was in your boat that commanded the wind and the waves to calm the sea. And while you're telling them, tell them that Jesus is the ark of safety. And like Noah building that ark, the rain was coming and the storm was rising, but the door was open. And you need to tell them that the door to the ark of safety is still open. And no matter who they are, no matter what they have done, that the ark is still open. But you need to be honest with them. Let them know another storm is coming. Jesus says, like a thief in the night, it will be sudden, it will be furious, it will be overwhelming, it's called judgment day. But those who are in the ark of safety will not be touched, they will not be harmed, they will not be lost. The door of safety is still open. Interesting observation is those disciples who were on the boat, one of those disciples was Peter. I bet you it was Peter who opened his mouth and said, don't you even care if we drown? <laughs> but now Peter, later on in his life, after all he went through, you see, guess what he said toward the end of the scriptures? In 1 Peter 5, 7, you know what Peter wrote? He said, cast all your cares on him because he cares for what? What? <laughs> Jesus, don't you even care? Crisis. Now, after he's denied him three times, been restored, preached at Pentecost, been, been scorned and buked and gone through all kinds of movements of the Holy Spirit, 
using him to heal people. Now, when he writes his epistle, he says at the end of the book, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. The door to the ark is still open, and this is your moment right now to come on in. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I want to come into the ark of safety. Save me. Thank you for caring for me. Thank you for quieting the storms of my life. Thank you for wisdom from the other boats. Lord, now I want to be one of the ones to be able to tell others when I get to the other side that it was Jesus who saved me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen.